Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 108. So I am recording this on a Friday, which is not typical. Usually I record my episodes on Mondays. I'm recording this, though, on Friday, December 18th, and you're probably listening to it. uh, Well, it'll go live on Monday, the 21st of December, 2020. So just to kind of orient you to what time and place we're in. And so I want to, this is going to be a guest episode. So I'm just going to do a brief intro here. Um, I just, you know, I don't have uh, much in the way of kind of announcements. I know sometimes I like to start out my episodes with a couple of just nuggets of things that have, you know, just kind of been inspiring me during the week or um, any, you know, kinds of kind of announcements I have in terms of new opportunities for teachers to learn anatomy, things along those lines. So I, I really um, want to kind of dive right into this episode. The one thing I want you to kind of just keep an ear uh, to or ear open for is just so much of what comes out in this story that has to do with you know, some themes that are really germane to teaching and their themes around being authentic, being transparent, um, building a know, like, and trust factor with those that you work with, you know, students that come to your classes, pe- you know, people that come to your classes. Um, and even in this current environment of working with people virtually, how it still is possible to leverage, not really leverage, how it's still possible to convey those themes and, and just how important it is for not only people who come to your classes, let's say online right now, to feel that vibe from you, um, but also how important it is for you personally to operate in that way, meaning authentically and transparent uh, in a transparent way within reason. Of course, you know, I'm not suggesting, and, and you'll hear all of this in context when you listen to the episode, which I'll give you a brief lead into in a second. I just want you to kind of keep your ear open to that because, you know, this whole idea of expressing yourself 
authentically is a huge piece of why I teach anatomy in the way I do and why I emphasize what I emphasize when I teach anatomy, which is this whole bedrock concept I have around helping teachers understand the why behind the cue so that when they are sharing cues, it's coming from an, a place of knowing rather than a place of just repeating things they were taught in this abstract way without connecting them to these concepts and words and cues to what they know about the body. And that when that is the way you're learning anatomy, it allows you to share in a more authentic way. It gives you the freedom to just talk off the cuff when you're teaching people. It doesn't restrict you to simply just reciting things. And so I just framed what you're gonna hear more about in the framework of sharing anatomy-based cueing. What you're gonna hear in this story today has all those themes and more in a broader context. So now that I've given you that kind of preamble, let me tell you a little bit about uh, what this episode is going to cover. So over the years, I've run into Erin Medor every now and again, uh, either through social media or shared connections or, you know, just contact with her email wise or otherwise. <clears throat> and I've always found her to be a really smart, really intelligent, engaging yoga teacher. And during the pandemic, I was seeing Erin in the news every once in a while because she is a studio owner. And here in Boston, there were uh, quite a few changes to the COVID safety regulations that were affecting the running of yoga studios as well as fitness centers. And so every time kind of the regulations would change, Erin would be on the news and she would be sharing from her perspective as a studio owner, how the new regulations were going to affect her and how she was really trying to be kind of going with the flow, no pun intended to, to yoga teachers, um, so she could keep her business solvent and more importantly, so she could continue to serve her community of students who, you know, in the year or so that she had been operating had just really grown to know, like, and trust her. Uh, love and depend on her studio for their wellness, health and wellness. And so when I saw her recently on the news, which is only about two weeks ago, I thought I want to reach out to Erin and I want her to come onto the podcast and tell her story. And I don't want her to just tell her story from the perspective of the past eight months of the pandemic. I want to know her whole story. And this was something that I didn't know. I didn't know why she started her studio what that beginning, you know, journey was like for her. And, you know, I think for a lot of us, as we are living through this pandemic, and we are hearing these personal stories of people on the news who own businesses who have been affected, for many of these business owners, we only know their story as a COVID story. We don't know the bigger context. And I wanted to give Erin an opportunity to share that. I wanted to know it. And I really thought that it would be something interesting and inspiring for you, the listener, to hear as well. I think that there's so much when we have some breathing room from this um, pandemic, there will be so much that we pull out of this time. Right now, we're not ready to do that. We are still in the thick of it. Um, however, there are moments 
that I'm looking for that allow me to step back and, and look for the learning. And when I thought of having Erin on the podcast, I, I thought of it in that context that, you know, here is someone who is going through a change to a business that she started that she never asked to happen to her. And I want to know what that's been like for her. Now, I will say, and and spoiler alert, or I'm not going to spoil, I guess is the alert I want to give you. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, this story takes twisted turns that you're not going to anticipate or expect. And I think that means, I'm just going to tell you right now, um, you know, boil the water, sit down with a cup of tea or whatever you like to drink and just really carve out an hour to listen to this when you can be uninterrupted and really, really allow yourself to just get in the boat and go down the river with Aaron and I, as we talk, because I was on this journey, listening to her story that you're going to be on as well. And I really found myself being very much consumed by just really listening to her words and, um, just really learning from what she she's been through. And again, the twists and turns uh, take it down a couple of roads that are really amazing. And um, just a real testament to, you know, when we're in times of struggle, it can be really powerful for us to, to some extent, give up all the controlling we're trying to do and to just connect to faith, whatever that looks like for you. And just kind of say to the universe, I trust that you have my best intentions at heart, even in this moment where I, I can't possibly imagine that that's <laughs> the case or that this is how this is all meant to, meant to end. Um, and there's a lot of that theme in this episode. So having said that, I want to uh, wrap up this intro. This is my conversation with yoga teacher, studio owner, fitness professional, Erin Medor, here in Boston, Massachusetts, where we both live. And, um, and, and that's what I'll say for now to kick it off with this episode. I really, really hope you enjoy it. And let's go to that right now. Hello. Hi, how are you? There you are. Hi, Karen. I'm so good. How are you? Good. You know what I think it was? What I... I think I sent you a confirm email. And when I didn't hear from you, I think I just assumed that something went wrong. Like you're, oh. you know, I thought maybe something in your schedule changed or whatever. So I didn't have it kind of hardwired into my day, but it's no. totally okay. Was that your right text number? Should I say that? What's that? Was that your right phone number? Oh, did you text? Did you just text me? Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I just was like, wait a minute. I'm like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, you know what? I was just walking in from, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just walking in from outside. So I must have not heard it. So how are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Yeah. I was just telling a friend emotionally today, I'm more stable and doing all right. Um, in terms of everything else, just feeling really overwhelmed, a lot of anxiety. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure, but I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. So what I want to do is sometimes when I record, I mean, uh, for the most part, all the interviews I do for the podcast, I do record on Zoom. And sometimes I do a little kind of preamble and then we launch into it. But I really want to just launch into it because I want to kind of 
get your feedback and perspective and everything in the moment rather than kind of sometimes it feels kind of orchestrated I'm like okay we'll chat a little bit and then we'll break and so um I think you know a good place for for the listeners to kind of begin from with you is um who you are and what you're doing and anything you want to share about your background and how you got to where you are because I think that'll provide I know the context because, you know, partly I've been following your story on the news because you seem to be kind of one of the go-to people that news here in Boston um, speaks to. Um, And so I know that that is front and center in your life right now, what's happening because of COVID and how it's affecting your business. I don't want to, though, you know, kind of rob people of knowing all there is to know about you and why you started (laughs) why you started this before COVID happened. You know, what was your passion? What was your inspiration? So think of where you want to start your story in terms of just giving people an understanding and an intro to who you are. Okay. Um, And how much, and first of all, thank you. And it's really nice to see you in person. I was telling uh, my partner who's next to me, Kenny. Hi business and life, love, all the good stuff, partner. And, um, (laughs) and, uh, I was like, oh, I've known Karen for years, actually. Like we go way back. And I think that's one of the really cool things, um, that has been happening as a silver lining is I've had teachers that were like mentors to me, like 15 years ago, reaching out to me, asking if they could help, if they could teach, if they could, like, whatever, and um, so thank you. I just wanted to say, like, this this really means a lot to me, and um, I, yeah, thank you. I just am glad I have a, a, a wave, you know, just, I know your, the word is getting out, obviously, you know, as, as, as evidenced by the folks getting in touch with you. Um, I just, you know, there were just so many angles of this, this meaning what's currently happening that I knew would be of interest to people. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, and again, I want to just kind of put it in the context of before this happened, there was all this other stuff. So start from the beginning and tell us kind of what, you know, what your inspiration is for teaching and opening your studio. I don't know, maybe that's a place to start. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, as most of you know, I'm Erin Medor, and I am currently the owner of Savin Hill Fitness Studio. Um, however, that is about to change. Um, so give people a sense, because I have listeners all over the world, believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, okay. I get these updates from some random podcasting, like recording entity, and they're like, did you know you are the most popular yoga podcast in Malta? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. How how many people in Malta are even listening to podcasts? If you're listening right now and you're from Malta, shout out to you. I mean, I just love the <laughs> idea of where you are physically located. So I am physically located in Boston, Massachusetts, one of the best cities, in my opinion, in the whole world. Um, I live about 30 minutes south in Brockton, um, which is actually where I grew up. I just recently moved back a couple years ago, and it's wonderful. Um And my studio is in a tiny little suburb called Savin Hill. And it's a really special place, honestly, which is one of the reasons we're so happy we're not leaving, even though the studio 
that I currently own and operate is closing. Um, but Savin Hill is really special because it doesn't feel like you're in the middle of a city per se. It has a very neighborly, neighborly feel to it. It almost feels more like the suburbs where people know your name and say hi to you on the street and neighbors um, will, you know, give you a cup of sugar if you need it. <laughs> um, that has actually happened to me when I used to live in Dorchester. Um, so yeah, Seven Hill is really special and um, to give a little bit of my background, it's actually a good way to segue. I lived in Savin Hill for approximately two years, and um, there was this old abandoned building. It had been abandoned for about seven years. It was one floor red. You could kind of see inside a little bit, and I would walk by it every single day, and I thought to myself, I, I told people all the time, I would love to open a fitness studio here. Like this would be a great location. Um, at the time I was a yoga teacher, personal trainer, uh, Reiki master and traveling all around Boston. I was working at five different studios, um, going to people's homes, training people in parks. <laughs> um, and I knew I always wanted to own my own space. And I decided to actually start looking for a place. Now, this red abandoned building wasn't actually an option. Um, I had looked into it and it was a dead end. And so I started putting out some feelers. I actually hired a commercial realtor. We looked all around the Boston Dorchester area and there was nothing. And when I say nothing, it was like <laughs> literally zilch. Like even the locations he did show me were like, oh, this might be on the on the market in a year or two. <laughs> um, so it's actually a long story. So to shorten it, I ended up pitching my studio idea to um, this great local architect firm. And I'm blinking on the name, but it'll come to me. And um, they loved the idea. They lived in Savin Hill. So they essentially like adopted me as a side project and were like, let's try to get you a space because we think this is a great idea for the community. And How did you find, like, back up for one second. Yes, yeah, of course. Amazing. How did you, like, what made you think of going to this architectural firm and how did you know them to pitch to them? That's such a kind of, not random, but. <laughs> it kind of is, yeah. Creative way to, you know, to, to actually <laughs> keep your, your dream alive. So um, it actually worked out. And this is where the story gets a little crazy, Karen and your listeners. So um, I, there is a really nice building next door to my building. So Savin Hill is very small. There's not a lot of commercial space. Most of the commercial space is, um, you know, there's like a Walgreens, restaurants and so forth. So there had been an empty commercial space that had been built about a year ago, uh, a year before this. And I met with the owners and they had been very interested. They loved the idea of a fitness studio as well. They, they knew me because I already worked, went to their restaurants and I always got a coffee from their coffee shop, woo -woo, McKenna's. And um, I, so I was in talks with them about renting out space. However, that space wasn't completed. It still needed HVAC and lighting and plumbing and all of that. So I met with the architecture firm to see how much 
I would have to take on. Yeah, it was so interesting. I've learned a lot about architecture over the last four years. Um, so during this meeting, I one realized that the space that I was originally looking at wasn't going to work for me. I just didn't have $300,000 or an investor with $300,000 that um, could help me get the space up and running. So um, I actually said no to that opportunity, but I always stayed in touch with those two gentlemen um, and their names are Ken and James and they're wonderful. And they're gonna come back into the story, which is crazy, such a small world. <laughs> Um, and the architecture firm connected me to my current landlords and business partners um, who own the building that I'm in. And I have to, you know, even though the, the studio I own, Savin Hill Fitness Studio, um, is closing, and obviously there's a lot of hardness around that and a lot of struggle and frustration, um, my current which we'll, which we'll talk about because I'm sure people yeah. listen to like what is she talking about this yeah <laughs> I mean I want to get to that but go ahead oh I was just gonna say um even though there's current... a lot of hardness around it you still yeah I still have a lot of appreciation because Jane uh, my current business partners for Savin Hill um have always been especially in the beginning very um supportive and they essentially were my silent investors. They helped me create this beautiful space and they saw my passion and drive, what, like three and a half, four years ago. And essentially, I think it was, I think we met twice before we were like creating a business together. So you had originally met them in this other scenario that didn't work out for you, but then you went back to them when, okay. They're actually two separate people, two oh, separate groups. Yeah. Wow. That's I know it's very confusing. Trust me. I struggle keeping up myself. <laughs> so, so at that point, so at what point did you select the space you're in now? I want to say three years ago, and it was actually before the old red building had even been demolished. Okay, so that's actually what happened to the red building. Yeah, it was Somehow demolished. This is going to all tie back to the red building. I know. You ended up there, which would be really kind of unbelievable. So, okay, so what year did you start your studio, did you say? Um, it was, we officially opened a year and a half ago. So it okay. was the summer of 2019. Okay, so all of this preliminary kind of stuff that you're sharing brought, did that bring you to the point where you located the space and you worked with someone to build it out for you? Yes, and, um, and that was an amazing experience. Building a space from the ground up literally is something that I'm really grateful I had the opportunity for. I don't know if that's something I never had the opportunity for again, but um, it was really cool. Like. I would go there on the days that they were putting the beams in for the um, foundation mm -hmm. and I bring everybody, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. And <laughs> um, I got to help choose everything for the space. Um, so it was a really, I think, magical um, experience and something that a lot of studio owners don't get to participate in because most of the time you find a space and you make it work you don't necessarily be, get to be the person that's choosing it from the ground up. Right. Um, so, I will say it was stressful, but it was fun. Yeah. So tell me, I mean, cause I think, you know, kind of think back to a year and a half ago when this was going on and, you know, you were right at the beginning of kind of the physical infrastructure coming 
together. What was your vision for the studio? Like, did you have an idea in your mind for like, this is what I want it to feel like when someone practices here or, cause you have kind of a combo like spinning fitness and yoga. So you had like different customer avatars as it were, right? You yeah. had like an ideal client. You had like the yoga person or the person who does all of them. So get, just share a little, little bit about what your dream vision was for that. Um, it's funny that you asked me this because I was running earlier this morning and actually reconnecting with this concept in my mind and trying to um, reconnect with that energy and passion I had, you know, four or five years ago when I first started this journey, it takes a long time to open and start a business. Um, I, so I've been in this industry for eight and a half years, full time, probably about 12 total. And I've always known that if I opened a space, I wanted it to uh, essentially be like a blank canvas and feel very spacious and, and not just physically, but mentally um, and feel very welcoming and safe and supportive and a space where people can essentially create their own fitness journey um, through movement, through breath, through training, through whatever it is. And um, it's great because I actually got to see that come alive. Like the space right now is people come up the third floor because it's a lot of stairs. It's six flights and you get up the stairs and you open the door and people have no idea what to expect. And it's, it's huge. It's bright. We have um, it's all exposed ceiling in the lobby. We have beautiful paintings by a local artist. Um, her name is Julianne and you can find her at Moss and Blue. That's pretty much all I use. She's incredible. Um, and we have this really nice wallpaper that's this very gentle, it looks like concrete and people actually come up and touch it because uh, they think it's concrete. <laughs> so um, I, I definitely think the vision came to life and that's something we're trying to continue um, in our new space as well. Uh, me and my partners all love that sense of a bright, friendly, supportive environment where we don't tell you your story, you can tell your own story. Right. Now tell me, um, you know, for people that are listening, like I have a personal training background as well as a yoga background, as do you. A lot of the people listening will be yoga teachers, right? So tell me um, kind of, was that the main driver behind you having a space where there were different ways that people could, different modalities, so to speak, that people could use? Was it that or was it something else? Tell me a little bit about why that was part of the vision. Um, so variety, I love that question. Thank you, Karen. I love variety. I'm obsessed. I um, started off actually as a cycling instructor. That was my first certification because it was cheaper and it could be done in a day. And I love, I loved cycling. Um, and then I did my yoga teacher training actually through David and Todd of South Boston Yoga who are two of the best human beings, I think, in the whole universe and history. And actually Todd um, now teaches at my studio and he'll continue teaching with us and we've become really good friends. So that's, that is one highlight of COVID because unfortunately their studio had closed. Yes. Um, but that being said, I started teaching full time and I realized I had this really unique capability 
where as a yoga teacher, I could try to get people to come to cycling classes and vice versa. And I noticed that a lot of my clients and students that did that did better in each class and really enjoyed them. And I would get people who loved yoga, did yoga six, seven days a week and said, I'll never get on a bike. And I would encourage, you know, the heck out of them. And they would end up loving cycling and realizing the nice benefits of cross training. Um, and I could talk about cross training for hours, but uh, really find that there's a nice balance between the two. So then when I became a personal trainer and started teaching boot camp, I just kept drawing people in. Like if you had already stuck with me through yoga, now you were doing yoga and cycling. Now you're doing yoga, cycling, and boot camp. <laughs> um, and it's rare at our studio to have someone come just for one modality or one service. It's I think we all do a really good job being so friendly and welcoming that there is less um, fear around trying something different because that's that holds a lot of people back I think yeah yeah so I'm kind of curious um because I know there are a lot of people you know like yourself I've been teaching yoga for a long time and I know and I'm sure you do uh know of those people that you meet who say I'll never do yoga versus the <laughs> say I'll never do cycling so did you have an ability and if so how did you do it to get some of your fitness people to go to yoga you know the folks that are like my mind won't settle yoga's too boring yoga's too meditative and I don't meditate all all of the excuses that we've all heard how, what was your what was your pitch to those folks um so I usually I I'm known for being um, very, uh, I like to connect with everybody one-on-one -on -one a lot. Like I'm usually very early to classes, um, maybe not necessarily at this exact moment, <laughs> but when I was a newer teacher, especially, and I would stay after class, I try to get to know every single person, their name, their background, their goals. And I think what ends up happening is somewhat of an organic pitch where by the time I've actually pitched them or suggested they try something new, they trust me and yeah. they like me. Yeah. Um, so they'll at least try a, a different class with me. Mm -hmm. And then my goal has always been to then try to get them to try classes with other people right. because I've never been one of those fitness professionals. I want everyone to only work with me. I want I want my clients to have a well-rounded um, and not just variety through classes, but variety through teachers. Right. And I think building trust, honestly, was the biggest part of getting people to try things that they normally wouldn't. Um, you're, you know, it's so funny. You're totally right. I think probably 80% of the converts I've had that now, you know, do multiple types of classes had told me they never would. <laughs> so um, it definitely takes time and patience. And then I think too, um, being really honest with people, like my classes, my yoga classes are really reflective of my personality. They're very upbeat. They're very fun. And um, I think that if I was a very quiet, calm, uh, meditative type of a teacher and I had lied to them or tried to get them in by like not necessarily being 100% honest, I would have lost that trust. So I think being right. really upfront with people was huge. And then finally, um, I would even sometimes, this is something really small, but kind of went a long way, I would dedicate a song to them. So I'd say, okay, Patty, you've talked about coming to my yoga class. You really should try it. What's your favorite song? I'm going to play it for you in my class. 
And that one little thing actually like made a huge difference over the years. And, and what happens if they suggested a song that wasn't really like something by Metallica or something? <laughs> you know, Karen, this, I love that you asked that because I'm such an honest person. I would tell them, no, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Or even something that could be triggering for somebody. If it's like a romantic breakup song, like if I hear Adele, whatever that Adele song. Oh yeah. Uh, oh God. Da, 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 the one she's da. on the telephone or something. No, yeah. the early one, the first one, someone yeah. like you, I think is the name of it. Yes. I was actually going through a lot of relationship problems. So I literally can be in a department store and I'll be like, la la la, I'll plug up my ears. Like I literally can't hear that song. So if anybody ever said to you, someone like me by Adele, I would have run my, like my hair was on fire from your yoga class. Um, but like, nope. Right. Exactly. Um, I want to just pick up on just in listening to what you just described. It's so interesting because, you know, honestly, when you think about from a marketing perspective, the no like trust factor is kind of the bedrock of any kind of, you know, digital marketing, online marketing, that's really, and that's exactly what you described. So I just found that kind of, uh, kind of amazing. I mean, that is, and, and you're right when people, when people trust you, they will take your recommendations much more than if they don't know you. Um, so, okay, so now you're at the point where you've, you have this vision, you're building out your studio. You, you had never owned a studio before because as you described, you were kind of doing what a lot of teachers do. And on top of it, you were also teaching one-on-one -on -one fitness. So you had one-on-one -on -one fitness clients, one-on-one -on -one yeah. yoga clients, you had your group classes in both areas. So, once your studio, tell me, like, think back to, you know, here you are, you've done all this pre-work, you're bringing Dunkin' Donuts to the work people and all of this, and here we are on opening day. So how, how was that for you when you opened your studio? Yeah, um, it was amazing. Um, Did you are like, we good to be, are we good to be 50% professional, 50% personal on this podcast? <laughs> Oh yeah, you can do whatever you want. I mean, I guess I'm wondering kind of like, how was it when you like first opened the doors? Did you feel like, wow, we have all these people? Did you have like a- Yeah. So um, I, it's funny, I haven't thought back to the first day in a while, but it was July 3rd and um, in Boston, Massachusetts, it's actually very quiet. For those of you who don't know the area, it's, it's kind of like Rome, I think, where people leave the city for the summer and they go off to um, Cape Cod or the suburbs. And so it was actually a bit of a quieter opening, um, but the people that were there are some of our most uh, supportive founding members that had actually bought memberships six to eight months before we opened and helped us open, which was incredible um, because we were actually supposed to open about five or six months before we did. That was another whole story. Um, so the opening day was incredible. I was just ecstatic and overwhelmed. Um, and I just like to bring up the personal side because especially as business owners or yoga teachers, we know how um, holding space is so important for our our students and our team and the space. And um, I was actually in the middle of ending my marriage and um, had fallen madly, deeply in love um, with my current wonderful life partner forever. He stuck with me. And <laughs> so I will say while the opening was um, 
a huge relief and truly magical. It was also, there was a lot going on behind the scenes and I was not as transparent back then. Not a lot of people knew what was happening. So I like to share that now because so many of us think that these happy moments are a hundred percent happy and joyful. And in reality, it's like when you buy a house, it's like you buy the house and you're so excited, but then you have to, you know, figure out moving and packing and all of that. And if we don't share that there's complexity to these, you know, these moments, then we just kind of envision it as this dreamland. So it was an incredible day. The whole summer was amazing trying to be, you know, figure out who I was as a business owner, as a manager, as a leader. Um, And then also who I was in a new relationship while leaving another one and going through all of that. So. Yeah, I find that so interesting. And it just kind of reminds me, I, I just finished listening to a two and a half hour podcast. Um, Rich, I like the Rich Roll podcast. He's a triathlete. He's also yeah. an alcohol, if you ever listened. And he had um, Olympic swimmer Carolyn Burkle on. And she's been pretty public about a lot of her struggles growing up as a swimmer. And she was actually involved in um, kind of a swimming scandal because Michael Phelps's coach and another coach sent her inappropriate texts. And there was a bit of a thing that came out about that. And then the one coach was also inappropriate with another swimmer. Anyway, she was talking about how in her life, she could never quite um, understand how she could feel two things at the same time. So even though she was winning at swimming, she was also having a lot of body issues and a lot of feelings of shame and you know, she was just describing that. And it's just very recent that I listened to this. So when I hear you saying this, it does really speak to kind of the complexity of feeling and that oftentimes we look at something or someone that's just opened a studio and we're like, oh, that person must be so happy. And isn't this such a happy scenario? And as you say, to have the self-awareness that you do to recognize that, yeah, that was really happy. And at the same time, it's okay for me to also be sad about the ending of my relationship and also be happy about, I think that takes the maturity that we don't always have. And that's where a lot of the struggle turns into mental health issues. So I think that's, that's great that you have the awareness to appreciate that that's okay. You can have multiple feelings at the same time. It's funny because now, um, So that was a year and a half ago, fast forward to now, and I'm actually a much more transparent, especially on social media, about the complexity of um, my feelings and my life and how, you know, I'm devastated over losing Salmon Hill Fitness Studio, but I'm really excited for the new chapter ahead. And I've actually had a few people um, come in and see me at the studio and passing and say that they really appreciate that I'm, I'm sharing more um, because it, it just lends more understanding to their own life and mm-hmm. it makes them feel less uh, broken or less messed mm-hmm. up. And like one, one woman said to me that she had a lot of family issues and on her wedding day, you know, it's supposed to be the best day of your life and whatever. And she, it was a really bad day for her in many ways because of a family issue going on. And um, she said to me that like hearing my struggles and my story helped her realize that it, you know, it was okay. That was her experience. And there's um, truth in that. 
And now she doesn't feel as weird about sharing that with people. So I believe if I share more, other people will share more. We'll all feel more connected. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's also in yoga teaching, right? When you're teaching, even though you may not be sharing personal details, when you are authentic in your own body and how you feel in your own body, that comes out. Even if you're just teaching from an action perspective, step, root, reach, rise, you can still bring your authentic nature through teaching action cues. It's not like you have exactly. to be standing there saying, so let me tell you what's going on in my personal life, everybody. Oh yeah. Twist over there. You know, so, <laughs> I love that Karen. Totally yeah. Agree. Yeah. So, all right. So let's do this. I feel like I've been kind of holding the reins kind of close on. You here. I know. <laughs> I want to kind of go through the chronology um, to give people an appreciation for just not so much what the loss means to you, but I think to, to show the arc of the story, right? Because it really is Thank the you. story and you want to kind of feel the arc of it. Um, so so you're you're running the studio and things are going well and, and you know, you're having the, I'm sure the ebbs and flows of business as all businesses do, certainly as all yoga studios do in Boston where, hello, just like most cities, every three blocks was a yoga studio, right? So prior to COVID, you know, that was the landscape of Boston. There were the big studios there. And I say were, because as we're going to get to, a lot of that has changed since the pandemic hit in March. Um, so, so you're out there, you're doing your thing. You have your student community, you're pouring your heart and soul into it. And then I, I'll just say to kick us off on this part of the story, I went to teach on Sunday, March 15th at uh, yoga works in Cambridge in central square, which I taught for 11 years. And I remember that class because the Friday, the 13th, I taught at the other studio I was at for about 11 years, which was up the street from mass general. And I had only two people in class. One was a nurse who was going to be going to mass general to work after she'd been on vacation for two weeks. And she was terrified because there were just the beginnings of COVID in the news and she was going to work. And the other woman in the class was a cancer patient who was at Mass General for chemo and she thought she would randomly come and take a yoga class. So that was my Friday class. My Saturday class was pretty normal. And then my Sunday class, I remember it was the first time I walked into the studio and this is like just the very beginning of COVID being on people's minds. I walked into the studio room and I said, um, listen, if you guys want to space your mats out like a little more than usual, feel free to do that. Don't feel weird about it. Just do what feels comfortable to you. And I remember feeling really weird saying that, but I remember feeling a compulsion to acknowledge because it was just the beginning of people starting to worry and like, what is this going to be about? So that was March 13, 14th, 15th. So tell me, now you pick up from here, when does your life begin to change? <laughs> um, I, I love your, that was like a really great um, example of the fitness industry changing somewhat slowly and then drastically. So um, I'm going to back up maybe like a month. So I will say, uh, thankfully, Savin Hill Fitness had been open since July. It was now um, February. We were actually doing really well, which helped us stay open through now, December, 2020. So February, 2020, um, we were doing really well. March, 2020, we had this huge March Madness challenge. We had people coming in for 
sometimes two, three classes a day. It was incredible. Like we were actually looking at adding more classes to the schedule, hiring more personal trainers. Like I couldn't keep up. And um, I did put everything on pause and my uh, partner, Kenny and I were supposed to go to Italy on March 6th. And unfortunately, my, well, very smartly, my mom kept suggesting we reschedule. And finally, I want to say four or five days before our trip, we decided to cancel that and go to Jamaica because we, I, we still needed to get away. That was not an option. <laughs> um, but we realized that going to Italy where COVID had been very, very prevalent was not smart. Um, and we didn't want to get stuck in Europe. <laughs> so we went to Jamaica <laughs> March like six and my assistant manager held down the fort. She was amazing. Izzy, thank you. And I remember sitting on a hot tub in Jamaica on like March 10th or 11th. And she says, to, she calls me and she knows not to call me. Like I didn't even have my phone on me most of the time. And I'm sitting with a pina colada in the hot tub and I answer the phone and she goes, Erin, there's a pandemic. <laughs> and I was like, I know. And she's like, no, 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 in Boston. And she's like, it, it's happening. And she's like, I don't know what to do. And we have a huge, being in Boston, we have a huge um, membership of, of nurses and doctors. And they had started telling her like, hey, things are going to get bad really quickly. We just want to give you the heads up. So <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm coming home tomorrow. So don't worry, <laughs> I'll figure it out. And I remember on the uh, flight home, uh, Kenny and I talking about how to handle it. And um, it was honestly very dramatic because we got home on Thursday at like midnight. So let's say Friday the next day, which is the day you went in and had like the two students. So Friday we get oh, up. the 13th. Yeah, we get up and we re we decide not to go into the studio because now we're scared. And we also don't want, like we were just in Jamaica. We don't want to bring any of that into the studio. So we decide to stay home and unfortunately closed the studio as of Sunday. So I never even got to go in and say goodbye or anything to any of my students or teachers. Um, I didn't even go into the space for another like two or three weeks because as you know, in Boston, it all shut down and well, we live in the, Brockton. That was the Sunday that they said, so yeah. I 30 class and by six o'clock that night, I was getting emails from the studio saying, don't come back. We're done, done for now. Yeah. So it was same thing on Sunday. We finished our classes. Um, we actually had record numbers. People were still just wanting to be in the studio. And that was amazing. And I, I have to give me and my team a lot of credit. We actually got the entire virtual um, setup done by Tuesday. So there was only one day without classes this entire year. Um, so that looked like you immediately pivoted because that Sunday when you heard the governor was shutting down all fitness classes, you just said, hey, it's no no big deal. We're just going to initially go online. Had you had an online portal? No, <laughs> I was actually super against online. I had another company in the past grounded warrior that was all online and I, I did not like it. Um, okay. so I, I was very against it. I was 
and I currently am still very much an in-person teacher and um, practitioner, um, but I am adopting and embracing virtual. <laughs> um, but yeah, we had actually decided to close before it was mandated. Um, we were tentatively closing on um, the 15th in the sense of doing what was best for the community. And I, I think that was really good because while it was a hard decision and a lot of people did not necessarily, I'd say 40% weren't necessarily um, supportive of that. They wanted us to stay open as long as we could. But I thought it was best, especially Savin Hills, very small and very, um, everyone's close together. <laughs> so I didn't feel like it was safe to remain open and have 18 people in a class when all, you know, the pandemic was really hitting us hard for the first time. So and how did... How did the people who wanted you to stay open express that to you? Like, did they email you? Did they call you? Like, how did you find out that there was a segment of your community that wanted you to stay open? Um, all of the above. I definitely got a lot of text messages, emails. Um, thankfully, people don't call me often. <laughs> I will say, while they definitely were not supportive, they, they didn't fight me on it. Um, they know how close-knit our community is, and they, at this point, um, they knew they liked and they trusted me, and they knew that this was a hard decision. Like, I had no idea if we closed, if we would ever reopen, and this was the beginning of me being a really transparent business owner um, with my team and my members and students and telling them, like, I'm, you know, at the time... <laughs> in Brockton sitting on the floor in the kitchen crying, writing this because it breaks my heart. And um, same sentiment currently with everything going on. But I think once people voiced their opinion, they knew that they just, they, they knew they were just being honestly a little selfish. They didn't want the studio to close because they loved us. They loved our classes and they loved the space. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, all of, Every member, every student from March, what, 16th on was 100% behind us. And most of the 40% that weren't super supportive of us closing before it was mandated had actually re-emailed me and said, thank you for trying to put our safety first right. um, and not, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So at this point then, you pivot to the online offering classes. <laughs> So did you find that with that offer of online classes, <clears throat> you kind of got into a groove where that became somewhat the norm? Where you kind yeah. of thought, okay, so this is now a temporary thing that we're just going to do. It's not our preference, but it's going to hold us over. Yes. Um, my teachers thankfully jumped on board. We figured you know, troubleshooting issues out. Um, our members figured it out pretty quickly. Obviously there was a lot of um, glitches back in the day as everyone remembers with Zoom. Um, but thankfully our community is really compassionate and understanding. And I think that goes a long way. I know that not every fitness studio has that type of a community, unfortunately. Um, but everyone, if there is a problem, if there is a mistake, they know that it's 
you know, it was not meant to happen that we're trying to make everything as smooth and easy and um, good for them as possible. And thankfully, when there were issues, no one yelled at me or <laughs> that's what I, I would always say. I was like, oh, good. No one yelled at me today. It's been a good day. Right, um, right. And now virtual is just the way we're, we're totally on board and I love it. I actually have um, students from Milan. We have someone from London, South America, South America, South Africa. Like it's incredible. That's great. So, so you're doing the online thing and then, you know, for folks listening who don't live in Boston, you know, of course, depending on where you live, the restrictions were eased in different parts of the US at different times. So for us here in Boston, I, I don't know, I think it was, I don't know when, at some point, May, June, they said, okay, if you, if you wanna open up, you can, but you have to either have people wear masks and then you can have X percentage of attendance or no masks and then have this percentage of attendance. So at some point, I'm assuming you opened the doors again for some portion of in-person classes and you continued your online. We were really lucky, Karen. So we have a beautiful terrace at um, Salmon Hill Fitness Studio that can accommodate um, because outdoor restrictions were um, you have to be six feet apart for no masks. And we were able to fit six people on our beautiful terrace. It did get really hot. <laughs> um, so we had to be you know, mindful of that power yoga at noon you would definitely get a nice sun uh, suntan um but we continued doing virtual classes and then the terrace classes and um that was actually a special day that was july 5th so that was oh, almost, kind of, a year, almost yeah a year after we opened and we did another almost like tiny little reopening party and um, it was great because everyone that I wanted to be there was, um, including Kenny, which was really special. And um, obviously it was a little scary. People were hesitant, but at the same time, our class numbers were really good. Most of our classes were, I want to say between 80 and 100% booked from day one. Like our no, community- you talking the ones on the terrace or- you On the terrace. Okay. Yeah. So were you doing any in the physical studio space indoors? No. Everything was the outdoor. Okay. We were doing um personal training again. That came back because that was um you had to be 12 feet apart, I believe, and you wouldn't have to wear masks inside and or 14 feet apart. And um we did that immediately. I had like X's on the ground where the trainer would stand, where the client would stand. And that's one great thing about this year is that personal training has really grown, I think, across the industry, but especially for us, I think people are realizing the value behind personal training and the benefit. Um, and that was something that I think not a lot of people realized before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without getting into all of your, the books, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm wondering, cause I just know I've never owned a studio, but like you, I've been in the business for a long time. I have friends. Studios, you know, so I kind of have a little bit of a window into the, you know, the book, so to speak. And I know it's a very slim to none margin business. And I know the customer expectation has grown over the years in terms of what studio customers expect to get in terms of level of service, um, not even speaking to the quality of teaching. That's a whole separate experience. I right? know. <laughs> um, so I guess what I'm wondering is at this point, you know, 
the pandemic is still happening, although it's summertime, so everybody's outside. So there's a little bit of an easing up of fear around it. You're having the terrace classes, you're having the personal training, you're having the online. Are you feeling like, okay, the business can keep going at this rate for maybe a couple other number of months? Or are you feeling like, wow, we are just barely covering our costs? Like what's your business temperature as this is all happening? It was um, really rough, honestly, Karen. So we started having monthly meetings with my investors and landlords. And um, I, I have a wonderful, I call her my sultan of spreadsheets. Her name's Lauren. Um, she's amazing. And we would look at the numbers and the numbers were horrible. Um, I had taken a pay cut, um, a really drastic pay cut actually. And my team had taken a slight pay cut, um, my assistant manager. So we were doing everything behind the scenes as of July to try to weather the storm. Um, we were still not sharing this publicly because I'm a big believer that one of my number one priorities is to make the space um, inviting and inspiring and safe. And I didn't want any of my members or students burdened or feeling any of the fear and anxiety that um, me and my team were. So, so let, me, let me just stop you there because it's kind yeah. of interesting to me hearing you say that because in the front end of this, you were talking about being transparent. I know. How that was inviting to people for them to connect with you. And so tell me, I mean, first of all, that must have been just, I can't even imagine having that pressure on myself as the owner greeting people in the studio, knowing what's really going on behind the scenes. So tell me how that felt for you to not be really transparent about. I'm, I'm still honestly unpacking a lot of that baggage um, because it was, it was horrible. Um, I don't think I've ever held in uh, so much. I just, and, and it was a very mindful decision. I, everyone came into that door and thanked us every day for being open. And we're so grateful that our space was so fun and uplifting that while I believe in transparency, there was so much uncertainty that I felt like it wasn't fair yet. And it, it wasn't necessary. I was really hoping to right the ship. Um, and unfortunately, it, by September, it became dire and it got to the point where I felt like I couldn't breathe. And um, Kenny would be so nice and rub my back when people weren't in the lobby. And he would know that like, I just had this bright and happy conversation, but I just also 10 minutes earlier had done the books and realized that we didn't have enough money to pay myself, for example, or um, we weren't sure how we were gonna make payroll. And by mid-September, I realized we needed to be more transparent and I started sharing more. And by October, the pretty much the situation was out there and everyone knew that we were in a really bad place and needed help. And I was really, um, I think, strategic about it. I didn't ask for donations then because we didn't, we needed our monthly numbers to be a certain place to survive. Um, rent is very expensive there. And we also owed hundreds upon thousands of dollars to our investors. And while they were being patient, they couldn't wait forever. 
So this wasn't like a GoFundMe fix me like $10,000 fix or upper. It was we needed 100 members as of November 1st paying an average of $140 a month or we wouldn't be able to make it. And November, you know, 4th came around and we were at about 60 members. And that was when I just, I knew it just wasn't, we were at the end of the rope. As I was saying to someone the other day, we weren't even like drowning and we weren't even like above water. We were below. We, the ship was, had sunk. There was no oxygen left. And now, that's when also, we had to pull the pump. Now also at this time, cause I was seeing you on the news. Like I would turn on the local news and I'd be like, oh, there's, you know, there's Aaron. And I feel like it was like three different times. So I kind of feel like along with what you're saying, there was also this ever-changing landscape with regard to the requirements that you had to adhere to. So I kind of, when I would watch you, I would get the sense that you would kind of write the ship to at least hold steady for a hundred yards. And then the requirements would change in terms of how many people you could have in the studio. And then you'd be like, okay, so now I can't. And, and so tell me a little bit. So on top of everything, you're watching the numbers, you're super concerned and just the feelings in your body and the pressure, and then also putting a good face on for your members, but also you're dealing with this ever-changing landscape around requirements for COVID safety. Yeah, it was, um, I'm honestly still feeling the effects, Karen, like we're, we're filming this on what, December 18th, 2020. I just announced like two weeks ago to the world that we were closing. I gave my members a week prior notice. Um, so it's been horrible, honestly. Um, I'm actually, I've been telling people I, I'm past the breaking point. I'm just trying to get through the rest of the year um, because emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, in every way, I'm just drained. Um, it's funny because actually I haven't shared this whole story with anyone out loud. And so sharing it with you, I'm like, damn, I've actually done a pretty good job keeping my shit together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and it's always interesting. It's always interesting to me as like an observer. Cause when I do the podcasts and, you know, when I do coaching with teachers now, of course, everything's virtual. I'm always an observer of things. So it's always interesting to me when people's reactions, like even just now, like you're laughing when in fact, what you're sharing, you know, like there could be two reactions. Like one could be, you could be telling me this and bawling your eyes out. You're not right. And then there's also, as we just said, all the shades of gray in between. So exactly. you know, I guess, like in this moment, do you feel like, you know, there's kind of a little bit of a chuckle because you're kind of like, Hey, I actually, am going to be okay? Or is it a little bit of a chuckle? Like, oh my God, what a complete shit show this whole situation has been. Like, I guess I'm wondering what, like, what do you really think is kind of underneath what you're experiencing? Like right now telling it at this um, point, the story that we're at. You know, what's really funny is that you asking me that reminded me of something. Um, I, I have to say my mom has always been amazing. I've always been pretty high strung. And um, very like perfectionist, wanting to get everything right for so many reasons. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> um, but my mom was always a big uh, supporter of me lightening up. 
And she would sometimes like, just like tickle me or make me laugh and say something silly. And I think that, you know, sometimes when I get to the end of my rope, I remember that and I just have to laugh out loud. And I, I think the beauty of it is now Kenny, my partner in everything, um, is similar to that, that way as my mom and he can make me, you know, I'll be sobbing but at the studio with no one there and trying to pull myself together and he'll just make me laugh. And it just reminds me that, you know, we have each other, we have an amazing community and no one can take that away. Um, Mm -hmm. The the space might have to leave and change and that will happen, but that doesn't mean that it's the end. Um, So yeah, complexity of emotions, Karen, who knows, maybe after this, I'll have a beer and a couple of, quiet tears. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, so let me just, let me just kind of, cause I feel like we kind of skipped over uh, uh, and I don't want to make you keep reliving yeah, this. It's okay. Maybe on some level it's therapeutic. I don't know. I, but I feel like, so you got, you were looking at the numbers. It's early November. The landscape is changing in terms of COVID safety restrictions. Was there an actual day when you sat down and said, this is it have to close? Yeah, I am. I've been having a lot of meetings with my current investors and landlords. And um, we, this was, like I said, I think it was right after Thanksgiving, we had a meeting and essentially we had to pull the plug because they needed, they needed to pay the mortgage. They needed the rent money and there was no way that was happening. They also needed to start getting paid back and there was no way that was happening And I realized that there was no other option. That's pretty much the realization that happened and that closing Savin Hill Fitness Studio while devastating and heartbreaking was what had to happen. Like I Mm -hmm. said, there was, it was not a choice. It, it was just a fact. Right. And I, it was really hard. Um, I didn't tell anyone for a couple of days while I processed honestly and tried to work out because along with all the regulations and everything else, there's also a lot behind the scenes legally and um, tax wise financially of closing a business. So I wasn't really able to tell anyone until the following Monday. So a few days after is when I announced it to my team and my members. And then about a week later we went public. Right. Um, Right. Now, and again, you can decide to share yeah. what you feel comfortable with. And I don't know how much is okay to share, but it's not, I'm assuming that when you make the decision, it's it's tremendously painful and sad. And, and maybe, I don't know, but on some level, was there any amount of relief because at least there was a decision that had been made? You know, because it seemed like so much of, things were kind of this constant, well, I don't know, maybe that's the wrong, I guess part of what I'm thinking is, do you still have a tail end aspect? Cause it's not as if I guess you can just say, okay, the business is closed. You still have investors, you still have debt. So is there a tail end aspect to this that is still something you're working through? Oh yeah. Um, 
currently I'm operating the studio, um, which has actually gotten really difficult with all the current regulations and just changing everything, um, closing the studio and then um, in the middle of also opening a new studio. Um, so there is a lot going on and um, I, I will say there's definitely some relief. I feel like there's a lot of weight on my shoulders and a little of that fell off the day that the decision was made. I almost felt very, I hate to say this, but um, a little bit of closure, like when you leave a funeral um, and you walk away from the gravesite and you know that that person will always be with you, even if they're not physically there. And um, I've lost a lot of people in my life. And, and I remember that day having a similar feeling in my heart um, where it's this, this weird mix of emotions. Um, and, I, and I have to say, I think that's what I'm going through the most right now, to be totally honest with you and your listeners. It, and I think as yogis, we can understand and appreciate that, that process of grief. Um, mm -hmm. I would say that's definitely what I, I would associate losing my business so dramatically, so drastically, so <sighs> intensely. Um, and not because of anything that you did. It was something as all business owners who have been affected by this, whether it's a restaurant or what, what you've gone through, through no fault of your own. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, we tried our best, but we couldn't make the numbers work. It's another thing to say a pandemic hits and, you know, so that's an aspect that is just so unfathomable, right? To think yeah, here you are in the hot tub, you're like in Boston, it's, it's in Boston. You know? <laughs> I can't, you know, someday maybe this will be like, I don't know, a movie that we'll watch. So, all right. So you, you, you just kind of, again, you kind of jumped ahead and my ears perked because now you, you kind of juxtaposed the closing and the running and the opening of the new thing. So you need to kind of bring us up to speed on. Thank you. What the heck is that about? And I, I do apologize, Karen. This is um and and to your listeners. And you it's funny because actually um I started writing a book about all of this. And I and that's one of my goals for next year is to share this story in a way that makes the most amount of sense. Um, because I do think it is somewhat unusual and really interesting. Um, so that being said, I, you know, with the closing of Seven Hill Fitness Studio, <laughs> this is where the story gets really cool, Karen. The original two men, gentlemen, Ken and James, that owned the coffee shop that I would go to years. This is like going back to the architects. And those two men were so sad to hear about the closing of the studio. They actually are our clients and they helped us find a new home. So we are literally moving across the street. <laughs> we can see it. You can throw a rock from my terrace to our new building. And um, it's much smaller, but it's still super effective, beautiful. We're, we're painting it uh, tomorrow um, and it's going to be called Connected Through Strength. And I am opening it with um, Kenny Long, uh, my everything partner, and this amazing woman, Stephanie Morez, who I have to give her credit. She um, is only 22 and just graduated from college. And the three of us are raising money, our own money, to open this space so that we can continue offering our members and clients the classes and sessions that they they want and need. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, I never expected, I never expected 
expected this. All right. So <laughs> you're okay. flabbergasted. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So, so for you to have gone through what you went through and now to be embarking upon, you know, kind of version 2.0, it sounds to me like one of the reasons why it could work is because from a scaling perspective, it's much smaller. So all of the costs are smaller. The, um, the metrics around what a full class looks like is a different number. Everything is scaled down in terms of yes. revenue. Yeah, and, then, and I do wanna be um, a bit more honest and transparent about this. So Savin Hill Fitness cannot continue. Um, we're actually approximately negative $500,000 or so between um, rent and bills, expenses, investment, and everything. There, there, that is a hole that is hard, <laughs> nearly impossible to crawl out of, especially in the middle of a pandemic. So that is why we're not trying to raise money for Savin Hill or save it, because if they're, they're, we tried saving it in October, and it didn't, unfortunately, work. That being said, our new space is about 800 square feet. We're still gonna be able to offer personal training. Um, once in-person classes are allowed again, um, we'll be offering virtual in the meantime. And our rent is a fraction of the previous rent. And the, the startup cost is only $30,000, which is very different than $300,000. So while this space won't be um, custom made for us, it's, I think it's actually going to be even better. I think the space is going to feel more lively, more vibrant, more real and authentic because it's going to have those roots that right. Savin Hill just didn't have. So how, again, I, I really, yes, you're not good. Have an idea. this was where the story was going to go. Um, I feel like this is like an Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love novel. Oh my God. I'm, yes. Okay, so I'm in the third part of it with the guy that was Xavier Bardem in the movie. Um, okay, so so um, you know, I guess from a from a student perspective, it's right across the street, so you already kind of have the built-in community. And how does it feel to you to kind of have you know? I mean, you described it as a funeral, like the death of this other studio your first studio, and now you're rolling right into the next one without, you know, a lot of time. How does that feel to you? Are you finding, I mean, you obviously look very excited and very engaged about the idea. So, you know, that would seem to be like, you know, just all the evidence that you'd need about, yes, this is the right decision to make. It definitely is. And we actually had a really good meeting right before our call um, with my business partners and friends and partner, um, Kenny and Stephanie. And we just reiterated the fact that this is our life passion, our careers, what we um, are good at and what people love about us. And, and that Savin Hill needs this. Our members, our community, our students need and want this. And even though it's a lot of work, uh, there's part of me, I joke that I just kind of want to, you know, sit on an island for a month or two. Um, I'm not ready to write that type of a story. I'm not ready to retire or take a big break. I, I'm dedicated to my community and my students, and I want to plow through and keep making it happen. 
And the nice thing is, um, obviously, there's obstacles to overcome with opening a new studio, but things are actually going really well, and we're moving very quickly. Um, as I said, we're painting tomorrow. We're signing the lease tomorrow. Um, we already have about 20 members signed up to start their membership January when we open. We have raised about $7,500 through GoFundMe. Um, and we're looking obviously to raise a bit more, but that's still huge. We're so grateful to all the people that have donated. So, and this all started a week ago, <laughs> literally. Um, we just announced and it's gone so far so quickly. Wow. So I take that as a really good sign that the universe has our back. Om Namah right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, in a way, you know, you can now leverage all of what you learned in this you know, version 2.0 and, you know, think about all the things that you didn't know about when you opened Savin Hill, that now you're going to embark upon similar issues and you'll be like, oh, you know, the spreadsheet Sultan, she can handle that. Or I learned it from her, how to look at these metrics, whatever it is, or these are the factors we need to be most concerned about. And um, so there's so much, I mean, it's obviously not the same thing, but a similar venture. So you can really just kind of pivot to that. So January is your open and you're going to have online and in-person within the regulations of, of what, what's happening. And, um, what's your kind of, it sounds like the vision for the customer or client experience is really similar to what you already had. So this is just kind of in a way, kind of a continuation of what you were doing before, just in kind of a different physical space, yeah? It is, and you're totally right. We um, we are taking all the lessons learned. Um, I'm, I'm hoping over Christmas uh, to take a couple of days to really sit down, journal, do a vision board, um, all of that stuff where I can kind of give myself some closure and some a bit more of a vision and strategy for the future. But mm -hmm. at this point, we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And thankfully, Kenny, Stephanie, and I are very, um, we work really well together. And we have such a strong community that's willing to help. <laughs> I've gotten so many text messages that people want to help us bring the weights across the street. They want to help us get set up. Um, so I think the next you know, few weeks are going to be uh, what's the name of that movie? Crazy and Beautiful, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah. that's, that's going to be the name of the next few weeks. Crazy and Beautiful all at the same time. That's great. Now, let me just clarify, because you've mentioned him a number of times. The person that was sitting next to you at the beginning of our recording, he's the Kenny person you're talking about. Yeah. So he is your personal person and your business partner. Yeah. Okay, got it. I just, because I just, for some reason, I started to think it was, but then I thought it wasn't. So that's amazing. So you have this kind of blending of, you know, your, your life on a personal level and, and on a business level. So really, uh, really, really, just, really lucky, really grateful. A, and blessed. Yeah. And such a story arc. I mean, just especially because you were opening your studio as your marriage was ending and then you found this, <laughs> you know, kind of true connection with this other person and, and, and business partner. So it's, it's just all, you know, kind of evidence of things will fall into place. We don't always know it, you know, at the time yeah. we're like, what is this happening to me? It's like, Hey, the universe has your back. Everything is happening as it should be. You just have to trust the process. 
That's been so my mantra. Cool. I actually have Om Namah Shivaya written on my arm. And I repeat that to myself all day, every day. And I think as yogis listening, we can all appreciate that. Um, I bow to the universe. I trust the universe. And yeah. For sure. So, all right. So in wrapping up, I want you to share how people can donate to your efforts oh, regardless of where you live. So tell us where this GoFundMe page is and how we get there. So it's actually really simple. We already have a website. It's called connectedthroughstrength.com. And you can go online and check us out and read all about our story. And do, there's links to donate through the GoFundMe um, and every donation, $5, $10, whatever it is, we so appreciate it. It goes to helping us buy all the equipment, pay the lease, all of that good stuff to get us open in just a few weeks. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. And um, I just, I loved hearing the story and, and I just um, loved having an opportunity for you to share it because I know a lot of people, obviously, everybody's going through something that's connected to what's happening with the pandemic. And there's just so many nuggets of what you shared that, you know, I know people will really be touched by it. So thank you very much for being so honest and open and sharing it. Thank you, Karen. I really appreciate this. I'm so happy, you know, as I said at the beginning, that in some ways COVID has brought us closer and that we reconnected through this. So it's really good to be on your show and to see you as a person and connect. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good luck in the next couple of weeks. I know you have a lot on your to-do list and um, just keep pouring out that good energy that, you know, people know you for, and I'm sure everything is going to be fabulous. Thank you so much, Karen. I hope you have a great rest of your day and stay in touch. Happy okay. holidays. You too. Namaste. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.